What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host Ken Milam and John Swan as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. Well, hello, everybody. We are back. And uh, apologies for there not being any main segment episode last week. Uh, for those of you on Patreon, you did get an episode really late on Thursday called Blame It on the Plane. And uh, we did discuss on there what had occurred. But very long story short, I was traveling to do some uh, seminars on Saturday. And uh, there was a whole lot of... Uh, hmm, Let's just say that the airlines and the weather caused quite the snafu, and I did not end up making it home the day that I was supposed to, um, not anywhere remotely close to the time frame that I was supposed to, and we ended up missing our recording time and deadline on that, so there was no episode last week. Do apologize greatly. No, we didn't have anything. Well, you were, you texted me, I'm. I'm locked down in Dallas. Oh, okay. Well, we're going. No, we're not doing well. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was still. I was still sitting on a runway on an airplane at eleven o'clock Saturday night, and then uh, Sunday when we normally would be recording, I was still trying to get home. So yeah, that that didn't happen. Um, so we uh, we we're just a little bit behind, but it's all good. We did have a lot of uh, very interesting things that occurred though while I was stuck either in a plane or in an airport. And uh, so before I get into that, though, really quick, we do want to give a shout out to our newest Patreon member here real quick on our main segment episode. So thank you, Kimberly, for joining us on Patreon. We greatly appreciate that. And uh, depending on where you're at in the podcast, someday you will hear this. <laughs> so but now, as far as interesting yeah. things that occurred in the airport. I started getting notifications when I got on the very first plane here in Austin to head out people started sending me messages and they were articles or links to other beekeepers, Twitter accounts, um, not Twitter, TikTok. There we go. Uh, another beekeepers TikTok account. So I got a couple of links to that. I got two different articles and I started getting stuff from a whole influx of different people. And Natalie was sending me things going, Hey, you need to check this out. Like something big's going down. And I'm like, okay, so I open it up and I take a look and uh, it is about our dearest friend, Miss Tight Tank Top Blondie herself, uh, who has been, you know, a uh, social media pop superstar here as of late for all of her antics on how she thinks that bees are just the sweetest things in the world and anybody can just go out there and stick their hands in a big pile of them and it's okay. They won't sting you. They don't want to sting you. It's all perfectly fine. And as we have discussed on the show before, you know, we've had listeners call in and we've had people send us messages through the Texas State Association. I've received messages where young individuals who are either beekeepers or want to get into beekeeping are seeing this and are influenced by this. And then they go out there and they do something dumb like she portrays on her videos and they get themselves seriously injured. And unfortunately, instead of realizing and having the, the, I don't know the right, you know, the comprehension of, of what's really going on and saying that was a bad idea. This person is giving misleading information. Unfortunately, what a lot of them have thought is, well, obviously I must not be a good beekeeper because I cannot emulate what she does 
and therefore that's my fault and I just I'm not good at it so I should quit. Not to mention the fact that they some of them have had themselves hospitalized, other ones have been stung so much that they can't move their hands. Um, you know, and it's all because she goes out there and she puts these videos out there where she does not do any protection, no protective gear. Um, and she says she you know she makes claims that you know bees are all completely friendly and they don't want to hurt you. And you know, we don't live in an area where that is true, and you don't know the genetic lineage of the bees, and bees just like people have attitudes and days where they just don't want you messing with them and none of that stuff gets portrayed so i have not been able to you know i can say whatever i want to here on our show because it's our show but i've not been able to publicly speak out against it because i am a male and she is a female and in the current climate of the world that would be taken as just another man trying to keep a woman down even though that's not the case she's doing something that is irresponsible and negligent and thankfully a woman beekeeper in los angeles who has a very large chunk of followers herself stood up and called BS and straight up called her out and said, not only are you misrepresenting the situations, you're staging the things that you do. Your husband does the majority of the work for you. And then you come in all glammed up just to get the good shot in the photo. And you mislead all these people into thinking that this is how things are. And unfortunately, the uneducated out there and the non-beekeepers out there, they're the ones that are clamoring to her side and saying, no, 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 this is how it should be. And this is what it is. And you all leave her alone because you're picking on her. But the actual beekeepers have started standing up and taking a stand. And thanks to this one TikTok video that this other beekeeper in Los Angeles posted, it went viral because, again, she has, you know, 22,000 followers or something like that. So it didn't take long for it to shoot off and go viral. And it got picked up by the news media. And so there started being these online articles that started coming out. And the very first one that came out was very much on the side of our, you know, black tank top beekeeper friend here. And I use the word friend as a complete sarcasm where they were saying, well, but see, there are situations where this could be true. And everybody knows that anything on TikTok or on Instagram is staged, you know, for the photo opportunity. And that's just accepted and people get that. So it's okay, just leave her alone. And even though she's based here in Texas and the lady that's calling her out is based in Los Angeles, they had the head of the Virginia State Beekeepers Association comment on it who happens to know Erica and be friends with her. And so she was like, oh, I've met her in person and she's so wonderful. And I don't see anything wrong with how she's handling the bees in those videos. She's being very gentle and kind to the bees. That's not the complaint. Nobody ever said she mishandles the bees. It is that she misrepresents what she's doing to the public and gives the wrong idea. And it is at the very least negligent for her to put people in danger by insinuating all bees are going to behave exactly the way that the bees that have been staged and prepped in her videos behave. And so a second article came out that Natalie forwarded over to me and it was very factual based in science and scathing. And it was not in the favor of her and more articles then followed suit. So that was when I was getting on the plane to head out of Austin and I had my first layover in Dallas. By the time I landed in Dallas, we, TBA, the Texas Beekeepers Association, had an email wanting an interview from CNN. By the time I landed in my destination in Amarillo, I and the Hive Jive 
had an email requesting an interview from CNN. <laughs> so wow. TBA's board decided that I was not allowed to give a statement on behalf of TBA because I have done that before, um, as we have discussed on here. And uh, the gentleman took my private response to him and forwarded it to NBC, The Today Show, and Texas Monthly. Um, and so they didn't think that I would have the decorum um, or subtlety that would possibly be needed for how they wanted to respond to this. And more than likely, I haven't got to see what the president responded as of yet, but more than likely, it's a, it, it should be along the lines of this is what best beekeeping practices are. Not necessarily saying we agree or don't agree and not mentioning anybody by name, but just simply these are truly the best beekeeping practices for our area. And these are the things that people should do, always keeping safety in mind, right? More than likely, that's what it is. If it's not, you know, shame on them for not uh, sticking up. So, and again, our president is a female. So it is, you know, apples to apples comparison here. You will have a responsible party responding to something that another party is doing incorrectly. Um, but fortunately and or unfortunately, due to all of the traveling and the delays and me being stuck here and there and not having service, I did not end up getting to respond and connect with CNN on behalf of the Hive Jive. That could be a good thing, although it would have been really entertaining. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's the heated news going on right now in the beekeeping community is uh, Little Miss TikTok Queen Bee Star herself is uh, now currently under fire and facing some serious backlash from the rest of the beekeeping community who is finally calling her bluff and calling her out because, and again, nobody is upset with the fact that she has received such fame and stardom. The upsetting part is she does not use her platform for actual bee education and she does not use her platform for truthful bee awareness. She uses her platform for glam and shock factor and literally to propel her own fame and stardom. And that's it. And that's the problem because she's not doing that based in truth. She's doing it based on misconceptions and deceptive practices that allow her to get these beautiful glamour shots. And then she just carries on that fantasy. And most of the world doesn't believe it's a fantasy. They think it's reality. And then they get themselves hurt. And it's only a matter of time before somebody sues her ass. So... That's just that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's crazy because there's so many different, you know, here she says, oh, all bees are treat are, are, are so nice and all this. Well, yeah, uh, they are to an extent until you walk out there and it's a little, tr the weather's a little bit uh, cranky. You know, it could start raining. It may not be raining, but it uh, cloudy and overcast and, and a little bit of breeze is blowing. You open that bee, those bees up and you look in there and they decide, no, we don't like this. We're going to eat you. And they all come out and they're meaner than hell. There's so many different aspects of weather, uh, whether they're also, they don't have a lot of stores and they, the main thing the bees are doing is protecting what they have for stores. <laughs> and where am I going with this? <laughs> Johnson, where are, you, where are you going with this, Ken? And I'm sitting here. Nobody can understand a bee except a bee, period. 
Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, yeah, again, take off on that. Well, I mean, I've told stories before, like the, the first two hives that I ever had, the one of them just was amazing. It was like the, the perfect hive minus the mic count. It was the perfect hive. It started off and it grew mm-hmm. exceptionally well. They drew out like 17 frames in the first year. And every time I opened the hive, they were just as sweet as can be. They didn't fly. They didn't scurry and run around. You know, they just kind of be like, hey, what's up? And they just went about their business. And they were always very lovely to work with. The hive next to them was a pain in the butt. And they constantly, as soon as you open the lid, bees were everywhere in the air. You'd pick up a frame and they were just running everywhere across the frame. And it made it really discouraging to work with them. And they didn't nearly build as much comb and wax as the other colonies. So they all in all just were day and night completely opposite but there was one day that i went out to my colony that was always just as sweet as ever and i opened the lid and they just hit the face of that veil full force out of nowhere and i did the same techniques i always do i did a gentle smoke at the entrance i did a gentle smoke underneath the lid waited 30 seconds then opened it up and as soon as i cracked the inner cover man they came out and so i just put the inner cover back on put the lid on and said okay obviously you're having a bad day and i walked away had i went out there with the false assumption that they were always going to be the way that they always are and didn't light my smoker and didn't at the very least have a veil, I would have been seriously injured because they went straight for the face. So even the nicest colonies can and will have bad days and it just happens. You know, sometimes they're just cranky and they snap and they say, not today, dude, go away. So it's, it's just about safety. It's not... There doesn't need to be any bravado, any macho, any anything. Those are all male sounding terms, and and that's not necessarily meant to be that way. Um, but you know, there there doesn't need to be this. Look at me, I'm a badass. I can go out here, and I'm so cool because I can do all of this in a tight black shirt, and I can do it with my hair flowing freely everywhere, and I can stick my hands in these hives and do these things. Like, okay, good for you, but you know. It, it doesn't mean that something bad isn't going to happen one of these days and you're going to be seriously injured and or and that that's you know, that should be your own self-concern. And if you want to take that into your own hands, so be it. But you also have to think about all of these millions of people that are now following your account and the majority of them being younger people that want to emulate these practices and they are going to get themselves hurt. And it's going to be your fault, not anybody else's your fault because you told them it was completely safe and this is how they should do it. Yeah. That's what I meant. That's what I was wanting to say. (laughs) (laughs) So anyhow, we can change the subject from that. Uh, Another thing that occurred while I was in the airport was we got a listener question that came in. And since how I had plenty of time sitting there, not being able to go anywhere or do anything, uh, I had a little chit chat back and forth with the individual so I will go through and, and we haven't actually read one of these on the air for a while. So I thought it would kind of be a nice little switch here. So this is from Ryan and uh, Ryan says, Hey, I just found your show and I've been listening to it every day while I go out and deliver mail on my 15 mile walking route. That's a lot of podcast listening. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, so he, he listens while he's doing his 15-mile route, and he said, Today, I am up to episode number 40. I have always had a fond love for bees, and I've always wanted to help their population, but the time has never presented itself. So here's my story. I had a swarm of bees recently move into my home. 
We discovered them probably the first week that they were actually there, since I'm constantly outside more often than inside. This was around May 1st. I called a beekeeping friend and he came over to look at them and we talked and he showed me what to do to be able to remove them. I already had a bee suit because in my other house, we had a lot of wasps in the attic and I had to go up there and remove them, which by the way, not fun on a hot summer day. Amen, brother. (laughs) Doing removals in an attic sucks. It doesn't matter if it's wasps or bees. Uh, Bees are worse because it takes a lot longer and there's a lot more crap you got to clean up. But yeah. A full, especially for us, like even in a triple layer ventilated bee suit up in the attic, man, that's it's a nightmare. That is not a fun task at all. Um, so anyhow, <laughs> back to his email here. So I was more than willing to do the removal myself. Long story short, they are now happy in a 10 frame deep in my backyard. I was surprised to hear your suggestions on placement of the hive because everything that I thought would be correct actually was. My birthday was on May 18th. I am currently 39 years young. And I think that this was Mother Nature's way of giving me a gift that would keep on giving. Mm -hmm. I have a question about supplemental feeding. I currently have an entrance feeder with one-to-one sugar water. They go through about one quart jar, uh, sometimes in a week, sometimes about a week and a half. But my question is not actually about the sugar water. It's about supplemental pollen. I have seen people use an old five-frame nuke and just put out the pollen bowl near the apiary with a drop of lemongrass oil to attract the bees. I would like to build my own feeder for the bees, but instead of all four walls being wood, I was thinking about using a sheet of plexiglass for one of the walls to create a window so that myself and other people could watch the bees feed on the pollen. Possibly even someday putting a live streaming camera in there so that people on YouTube could also watch the bees as they frolic and play in the pollen. I am more about the education and bee protection than I am about the honey itself, but we do buy local honey and pollen for personal use, so I'm sure that one day I will be harvesting that for myself as well. To finish my question, do you think that having the window would make it less likely for them to feed on the pollen in the box or would it not really matter? I mean, flowers are out in the open and, you know, they don't necessarily seem to bother them. So the window in the side of the box probably wouldn't matter either. The window would face north, so there would be no direct sunlight in the box, mostly just cut down the heat. I love opening the hive and showing the bees to the friends and guests that come to the house. So I was just thinking that having a box where you could watch them play in the pollen would be very cool. Thanks for all the help and knowledge. Keep on beekeeping. P.S. I am like a thousand shows away from where you guys are happen to be at this point. So if you do ever air this, please let me know. And then there's a P.S.S. that came in a separate email. And he says, also, I forgot to tell you that I live in Southern Indiana, which, yes, it's always beneficial to know where you're at so that we can base our answers on your climate and uh, season and region. And so he says, I live in Southern Indiana. I live in a city with a population just under 20,000, so it's not super big. And I basically live slap dab right in the middle of the city. One more question. With the bees being in my backyard, when it came to mowing, can I actually put the entrance blocker on the hive before I start mowing and then take it out whenever I'm finished and start closer to the hive and then move further away as I go through and finish mowing the yard? Shouldn't take more than a few minutes and I could just do that first. Do you think this would be a uh, problem? So two different questions there. And the first one is the the pollen feeder. So no, it literally doesn't matter to the bees whatsoever. I have put pollen in a Frisbee and stuck it out on the ground and then just took an empty medium box and put over the top of it so that it would provide a wind block so the pollen wouldn't blow away. And you can just stand right there and watch the bees go and frolic in it. Like you don't even necessarily need a window from a box on the ground and a medium over it. And you just standing there looking, 
you know, it, you can watch them frolic all day long and you can still set up a little camera right there and, and view that as well. So that's definitely not a problem. The only upside to having the roof over it is so that the pollen, if you put large amounts in there, can stay longer without getting rained on. So really what you're trying to do is you're trying to protect it from blowing away and protect it from getting wet and rained on. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter. So if you did build a box with uh, three of the four sides being solid wood and the fourth side being plexiglass so that you could go through and, and view it, you can totally do that. There is nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Um, pollen feeders are, you know, you can buy them, you can make them, you can do simple things like putting it in a Frisbee. Like I said, it doesn't really matter to the bees. The bees don't care. And the great thing, as we have mentioned many times before about pollen powder, is that if the bees need it, they will go and find it. Now, the lemongrass aspect, that's that's another one of those things like you don't need to do that. Okay, the bees are smart enough to understand what they need and when they need it. And they have such an acute sense of smell in their antenna that they can go through and literally decipher things down to a molecular level. So if they're missing a specific amino acid or a specific protein or fatty acid, they will go find that in nature. And if there's no natural pollen available, they will find your pollen powder. If they're not going to your pollen powder, it's not because you need to give them a beacon to tell them where it is. It's because they don't want it or don't need it. So lemongrass oil, no. That was just somebody thinking they're being cute and that does not need to be done. Any thoughts there, Ken? You've done plenty of pollen powder feeders. I was sitting there thinking, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, the bees, they'll, now they ain't going to bother what they, what you put it in. Heck, I've left it in cups. I've put it in tins. You just get the, get the pollen out there and they're going to come to it. But would you worry about bees that you just took down or just got out of a house? <sighs> This time of year, they ought to, up there, especially, there ought to be enough flowers that they get all of the pollen they need and nectar for that matter. Correct. Yeah. So, when you, the only I reason that I would, why he's wondering about feeding. Yeah. The, so, the, the only reason that you would need to feed them would be if the dearth comes or you're trying to bolster them up for winter. So, when you do a removal, like for us, when we do a removal, we will still feed that removal because we only give them three or four comb. And we really need them to draw out the rest of at least the minimum amount of comb needed to survive the winter. We don't want them going through winter with just three or four comb. And the later in the year it gets, the tighter that window gets. And also for us, now granted, he's not in the same climate and area, so doesn't necessarily no. apply. But for us, come late, like mid to late July, we're deep in the dearth. And the dearth goes all the way through August and part of September. So if we had just removed bees at that point, yeah, you absolutely got to feed them. And then the pollen and the nectar or the sugar syrup would both come in handy. And he did respond back and he acknowledged that they didn't necessarily need the uh, the pollen right now. It's just more of a future thought that he could do in the fall or next spring or late, you know, late winter, early spring. So just thinking ahead, he's he's just having some some brainstorming mm -hmm. and it is a, a novel idea. But no, you don't you don't need to worry about what it's constructed out of. Like a lot of the ones that you and I made were PVC, you know, using large PVC pipes in different configurations. I do a. Yeah stand-up version that was something that I yep. learned how to do from doing the chickens when you could make the chicken water dispenser and the chicken feeder out of, you know, very large 
I don't know, like the four inch PVC pipe. Um, and I'll fill that with pollen and then it comes down mm-hmm. and then it has like one of the almost rain spout ends on the end of it so that it creates a lip. So the powder won't flow out of it, but it also creates a wind block and it doesn't get wind or yep. rain on it. And the bees fly up in there. You did the same yep. concept with the, the drainage gate, but you did it just a straight pipe, um, hung at an angle in a tree and mine comes down straight and then curves like a 90 degree curve took, out. Right. I use crosses and T's and I said, I put a cross, I put a T on the bottom, had a cross in the middle and made mine where they come up. And then I had eighth bends turned down to keep the wind and the rain from blowing into it. And I made a cross at the top where I had, you know, the pipe come down through the middle, went right on into the one on the bottom. And it was a T because that's where you stopped it. And then come off with that, turn the eighth bins down and filled it full of pollen and the bees go in there and get all they want and hung it from a tree. Yep. You'll yeah, have to put it that picture up. I'm a, I know you got one. If you don't, I'll send it to you. I'm pretty sure I've got, I've got some of them. Yeah. It works great. In fact, I think we posted them. If people just dig through the social it'll media hold. accounts, I think they're on there. Yep. It'll hold. It'll hold 35, 35 pounds when I fill it up and they'll empty it, you know, in the fall pretty quick. So the, the other aspect of the, the second question was the mowing question and mowing that can be tricky. So I did advise against the timing or the, the order of what his plan was, uh, putting the entrance, like closing the entrance off mowing right by the hive, opening the entrance and then continuing mowing is going to get you hurt because when you mow right by the hive, you're going to piss them off. And then when you open it up, they're still going to be mad and they're going to come out looking for what the disturbance was. But if you, before you ever mess with the colony, if you go ahead and mow everything else and then stop when you get within 20 foot of the hive and don't mow that and then go out there and plug them up either, you know, that evening as they're all coming back in, you can plug it up then or first thing the next morning, plug it up and then finish your little spot that you got left and then open it up and let them get over it. You can also do that towards the evening, plug them up, mow right there by them and then open it back up. And the, the nightfall forces them back into the colony quicker. And then they've got the rest of the night to get over it. So I would do it that way. If you have to go through and do it, um, you know, do the part by the hive last. And, you know, if you're wearing your full protective gear, and that was one of the things that, that he was mentioning was that he could put on his suit and he could go back out there and, and mow up by them. That's not a problem. He was just curious on the the logic of it. So, but yeah, so those are, those are a couple of things that, uh, that need to be mentioned. Now, what if you used either a I know it's the combustion engine that makes the bees upset. That's the vibration and such as that. Now that they have rechargeable batteries that go on top of mowers, or you can get an electric mower that you can use with a cord. What do you think about that? It still pisses them off. Um, You can get closer (laughs) before it does it, but when you're right up there by the hive, when you're mowing like right underneath the hive or right around the hive, it will still piss them off. Like we've got an electric weed eater and yeah. I mow, I can mow all the way up to within two or three foot of the hive. And then I stop and I have to, I purpose in the yard. Anyway, I have to use the weed eater to get the rest of it because 
there's mm-hmm. only about a foot of space between the edge of the garden box and the edge of the front of the hives that are up on the garden rails. And so you can, there's enough space to walk between there, but you can only use the weed eater to get through there. And every time they get more upset with that weed eater going underneath them than they did with me mowing up to the, the last few feet. So yeah, it, it's still, the, they still vibrate and they still throw debris. It's just to a lesser degree and they're not spewing the gas and the fumes. So it lessens the reaction, but they absolutely will still mm-hmm. react. Okay. Now to something to, to talk about what you were talking about earlier with uh, Blondie and this kind of mix it together. The other day, Max and myself were working a swarm of one of his colonies across the road. And my wife was, well, we had opened the colony up. He was wanting to do an inspection. So he was going through and they were of the scoot, a lot of genetics, the Africanized bees, and they were testy as hell. Let's put it that way. And, uh, they were plenty mean. They were after me and him both. And he was in the hive and I was staying back and just watching and they were still in my veil, but they had him covered. Well, my wife was a good 75 yards away in the backyard, hanging clothes. And one went over there and stung her on the cheek. Yep. (laughs) So I'm sitting there. You never know what these bees are going to do. Right. And that's the collateral damage aspect of it. That's the fallout that most people don't think about. And when we go and we do removals, we always have to tell people, okay, we're going to show up at this day on this time. I need you to notify the neighbors on either side of you, the neighbors behind you, and the neighbors across the street. Because if this colony is highly defensive, all of those places are in jeopardy. They're all in the the ground zero drop zone of what could explode mm-hmm. out of here. And yeah, it's it's just it's ludicrous to be so naive to think that every time it's going to be perfect and they're going to be simple because that's not the case. And if you do have ones that are more aggressive or more defensive, yeah, they can spread. Now, a pure scutellata genetics, like the the full bore scutellata genetics. You're talking like oh, yeah. a length of a football field easily. So think about that. That's not just the houses next to you. That's three or four houses over in every direction are <laughs> at risk of actually being stung when these bees get mad. And that also means that the houses that are right there by you, if there's kids playing in the backyard, if they have pets in the backyard, if they have chickens in the backyard, all of these things are now at high risk because that little kid's out there playing and screaming and running in circles, having a good time, which paints a giant neon target on its, on their back when the bees are already aggravated and looking for somebody to take that aggression and aggravation out on. So that's why you always have to go through and, and, you know, notify your neighbors. Um, We had some people here in town recently that they started a colony and the colony did get, mean and large got large and got mean and every time they would go out there and try to work it the bees would pelt the windows of their house and they would continue to be (laughs) aggravated and sting anybody and anything for hours afterwards and i told them i said okay so number one obviously and they knew this they had already mentioned you know we're gonna do it how do we do it but number one is that colony needs to be requeened 
if it's going to stay in the neighborhood, it has to be requeened. And secondly, until that can be done, anytime you're going to manage that colony, it always needs to be right before dark. Oh, it yes, everybody's going to be home and there's even more bees to deal with, but it's better to do it at dusk, open it up, do your management, close it back up so that there's less people out and about and the bees have less time to take out their aggression on everybody else because as the sun is setting and dusk comes and night falls, they're forced all back into their colony. And then again, they've got all night to get over it. So all of these things are things that you, you know, you have to take into consideration. So if you go out and you decide that you're going to go check your bees and you know that your bees have a tendency to be a little bit ornery. And as you walk out, you hear that your neighbors are having a cookout and they've got 30 people over in their backyard. Don't go check your bees. Like be responsible and be conscious of what's going on around you outside of your own little bubble and take those people into consideration because you don't want to ever be that person that caused somebody else to get seriously injured due to your negligence. You know, that's that. I think that's the key for the day. Don't be negligent. <laughs> yeah. Take care. You know, do what you're supposed to do. You don't want to get people stung. You don't want to be in the dues. You don't want to be on front page of, uh, the paper. Oh, uh, Africanized killer bees. Now, they're just pissed off these. <laughs> yeah. So do what you're supposed to do. Let everybody know and, and, uh, don't put your chin against the veil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wiser words have never been spoken. That is, that is the, out of three years, that is the lesson Ken has, has learned the most or, or well, <laughs> it's the one that stuck with him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> stuck literally yeah. in the chin Yeah, literally now i do have a new suit coming uh a guy contacted me uh it's guardian bee apparel i told you about it already yeah this thing the front uh, it's it's further away it's a triple layer suit like what we were but the front of the veil is further away what I like about it, you know, to lay it back so you can take a drink, you have to unzip the wires, you have to unzip the bottom and lay it back. This here, you unzip the front and then lay it forward, take you a drink and zip it back up. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Blake Shook sells those at Texas Bee Supply. They've, they've had a whole line of them designed for them where the okay. front veil opens. And my very first thought when I saw that is, hell no. Mm -hmm. Hell no. I don't want to unzip my veil, the <laughs> face of my veil, and expose my entire face just so I can take a drink. I will either stick the bottle straight up to the veil and drink it through the veil, or I will unzip the neck in a tiny little spot big enough to slip a straw through there, and I'll run a straw up in and drink it from that. Because, And this is from a removal perspective, mind you, because if I'm out there doing a removal and they're pissed off, I am not exposing my face <laughs> to get a drink. Well, I'm... <laughs> I'm not doing it, you know, as a removal, but, uh, I'm doing it because my damn head's too big <laughs> and this just has the veil further away from my face. So yeah, I don't know. I'm I think trying that part, it. I, I think that part will be good uh, for I've your chin. A, yeah. I think it'll be good for the chin. And, uh, oh, I haven't sent you the picture yet. I did get a Hannibal Lecter mask. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> and it works and it works great, but yeah. <laughs> I like that one. I think that's I that's the best. People walk up on me while I'm out there. <laughs> I mean, you already look like you know, a combination between a spaceman and a hazmat suit. So why not throw in a Hannibal Lecter mask? I think it's great. <laughs> I've been here eating bees by God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might yeah. You know what? That might be a movie. Think about it. <laughs> the Texas Bee Massacre. Is oh, he eating the bees? Yeah. No, we'll quit. I've, <laughs> I have, I have experienced and unfortunately been part of many of those. Um, <laughs> the so MJ, um, she used to be one of uh, one of my removal specialists. She is since started a band or she was technically she already had the band but the band started to kind of take off and, and be a bigger deal and so she has not actually had the time to do a removal in quite a while but uh the her and i have been in a couple of different situations where the bees were just horrific and there was no saving the bees everybody was in trouble and you know there wasn't time to go through and be so conscientious and make sure that we collect all the stuff we need to we had to get the situation shut down as quick as possible mm -hmm. and in those situations she <laughs> dubbed us the grim keepers instead of uh <laughs> grim it was beekeepers grim. and grim reapers and it came together as grim uh -huh. keepers and yeah, so so we have to switch into Grim Keepers and the containment unit gets unhooked and uh, the the shop vac becomes, you know, like the cyclone of death. And uh, yeah, it's it's not a fun experience. It's not what we want to do. But there have been a few times that that was the only option. Um, we've also been on site with a couple of places where something has happened, like the story about the guy on the news and the police department or the fire department or EMS has called us out. And when you get there, you were told in no uncertain terms, these bees need to be eradicated immediately and you don't have a choice. You've got law enforcement there saying, you know, somebody is somebody's life is hanging by a thread and we cannot have them potentially endangering anybody else and you must eradicate them. And that's what you got to do. Um, usually when it's that scenario, we use the soapy water and, and soap down the entire colony, but mm -hmm. then you still got to suck up everybody else too. That's still flying around. And so again, the containment unit gets unhooked and, uh, and the shop vac becomes the cyclone of death and you're a grim keeper instead of a beekeeper. You are not <laughs> reaping the, the rewards that you should be reaping in that regard. Oh, also might as well throw this in. If you have wasp or yellow jackets to get rid of, soapy water is great. I know we've talked about that before, but I tried it yesterday or earlier. I had a bunch of wasp up in a eave of a house, mix me up a little soapy water, throw it on them. It kills them faster than, uh, than the spray does. I mean, as soon as that soapy water hit, they started falling and they were dead. Yep. Yeah, it, it, it impairs their ability to be able to bond oxygen molecules to the receptors in their respiratory tract. Um, it will kill any insect very quickly, but it is the most eco-friendly thing you can do because it's not a neurotoxin. It's not a pesticide. It's not anything that's going to you know harm other things than what you directly put it on. Yep. And you can use it in your gardening. You can put it underneath the leaves of plants. It's all about the dilution of it. 
the lighter dilutions can be used for small larval caterpillar worm type things that are eating your vegetable garden plants, um, kills the eggs, things like that. Higher dilutions, you know, will kill larger insects. And I've got some of the nasty red wasps that normally don't always build out in the open. They're usually in a cavity of some sort, but they're building out underneath the eave of my back deck and uh, they've got to go away. But I will put on my suit before I spray them, even though I do have the pump sprayer. Um, I am still going to put on my suit because I don't like being stung by those. It feels like they inject napalm into your body and you can feel the burning tentacles wrap around the limb. Like it is not a cool (laughs) sensation coming from somebody who gets stung by bees all the time. Being stung by a red wasp sucks. (laughs) It hurts for a day for a day. And now I don't know if it's because I've been stung so much by bees. I never noticed red wasp, but now the other day I got stung. Oh, and it probably hurt for a full day and about a day and a half. A day, next day, it was still hurting, but not near as bad. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. First time, first time I That's ever ran across one of them. We do. Yeah. The first time I ever ran across one of them, we were actually doing a geocache adventure and I opened up one of the wooden crates that was supposed to contain the cache. And instead it contained a large red wasp nest. And as soon as I opened it and I saw him start flying, I slammed it shut and I yelled, run. And one of them nailed me right on the ankle, um, just above the knot on the inner side of your ankle. And I, I mean, I got away. I just got that one sting, but I could feel it as soon as it hit immediate burning. And then again, it was like individual tentacles that started just wrapping around my ankle and my foot. And by the time we made it back to the truck, I almost couldn't walk on that foot. And I was like, oh, my God, like, again, I get stung by bees all the time. And, yeah, it makes me say four letter words, but then I'm over it and I keep doing whatever I'm doing. That sucked. (laughs) So the only thing that I've ever experienced that packs more of an initial punch is the Mexican honey wasp. It's a teeny tiny little wasp. And it's one of the two critters that build the iconic giant round paper enclosed nest in a tree that a lot of times people think are bees. Um, the mm-hmm. Mexican honey wasp builds the more mm-hmm. round version and the bald face hornet builds the more conical kind of starts round like an upside down teardrop kind of shape and comes down to a point at the bottom. But uh, the Mexican honey wasp is a tiny little thing. It's only about as big as from the cuticle of your pinky nail to the tip of your pinky nail for or the tip of your pinky finger, not necessarily your nail because you could have longer okay. nails, but they're little bitty suckers. And but man, they can fit inside all kinds of little crevices in your bee suit. And I had one nail me in the ear and it hurt. Oh my God, it hurt. And then I couldn't lay on that side of my head for like an entire two days because it was just throbbing constantly. <laughs> so they pack quite the wallop for such a tiny little critter. Wow. So you ever seen a no see You yeah. know what a no see is? Those suckers hurt we when they bite. We have them up here now. <laughs> oh yeah, they hurt. We, we, we don't have them re- uh, regularly up here but we have i had one bunch first bunch i ever saw was about 25 years ago they hit us on the lake while we was out guiding and then uh it got still earlier this week and we had them come through again and it's not a regular thing i don't know where they come from but it has to be still calm i mean calm and hot and humid to really get them and that's when they come through yeah. And for everybody else who's like, what are you talking about? They're flesh colored and they're tiny. They're, they're kind of yep. like the size of a flea, but they're more elongated and they're flesh colored. And so that's why they call them a no And, and it's kind of, it's kind of creepy because 
they'll they'll get on you and they'll bite you and you'll you'll feel it and you'll be like ow and you'll look at your arm and there's nothing there but if you look really closely it almost looks like something crawling under your skin because it's flesh colored and you'll see it move and then you really wig out because you're like oh my god what's on me <laughs> like yeah those are no oh, yeah. um you can actually see them nope. if you look for them but yeah that, that's their their common common oh, yeah. colloquial name is a no and they will make red spots where they bite you and apparently up in canada there's quite a few of them they have them all the time up there but we don't get them regularly down here thank god yeah yeah they're not they're not as bad as chiggers um well they are and they aren't because when the noceum bites you you immediately feel no. it it hurts but a chigger you don't ever feel it bite mm-hmm. you it's just all of a sudden you know the next day you got red welts everywhere and they itch like crazy and uh and the chigger is yep. a little, it's a yep. little, it's a duck mite or a duck lice is what a chigger is. And they, they get out there on the tall grasses and you walk through them and they'll get on your pant legs or on your shoes and they'll crawl up and they like anywhere where your fabric is compressed yep. against you. So your, your band of your socks, the band of your underwear, like if you're wearing boots, things like that, anywhere the fabric, the fabric's tied against you, they just run around very quickly and they just like take little nibbles here and there and it, it leaves a, their, their saliva and stuff that they have, you know, causes an irritation and reaction and you never feel them bite you. So you don't even realize they're there. And then you may be taking a shower that night or the next morning. And you're like, I, I have red, like red welts everywhere. What happened? You know, and now they're all itchy and the more you itch them, the worse it gets. So that's yep. a chigger. That's so there's your, there's your, uh, creepy critter <laughs> knowledge for the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, so uh, on that creepy crawly little note, we'll call it good and uh, we'll wrap up this main segment episode for this week. Sorry again for not getting one out last week, but that is that was just how the cookie crumbled on that one. The planes and the travel delays and storms and stuff just did not want to cooperate. But we are back and uh, this one was a nice lengthy one for everybody out there. So hope you enjoyed. And for our Patreon friends, we will be back with you on Thursday with a bonus episode. And for everybody else, we'll talk to you next Monday. So take it away, Mr. Ken. Family, y'all be good. Stay safe. Take care of each other. And uh, leave the flying for the bees, John. Okay? We'll see y'all later, (laughs) family. Y'all be good. Thank you. Be safe, everybody. Bye-bye. It's time for our guys to buzz off. But don't fret. The Hive Jive journey continues with new episodes Mondays every month. Until then, you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at The Hive Jive. Thanks for listening and be safe out there.